Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Cult Cinema Catacombs, where we will be looking at films that are basically considered deep cuts when it comes to cult cinema, and, and you know, sometimes maybe looking at uh, mainstream once in a while. Um, I am uh, one of the two co-hosts of the show. My name is Roy Buckingham, and joining me is... Um, Andrew Farmer. I am... Uh... Woo, I'm excited to be here, Roy. This is going to be an adventure. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, for those who don't know us outside of the other shows that we do, um, I am a part of the uh, United States of Geekdom podcast, and I also formerly uh, did a podcast called Sassy Cast and Cult Film Fanatics. Um, and uh, Andrew, where would you be from? Oh, I... I uh... I uh, work over at the uh, Jedi Cold Universe uh, doing a show uh, called uh, Hey Kids Comics. It's a weekly comic book show. Um, also, I just kind of hover around the periphery of all podcasts that happen in, in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a podcast gadfly. I'm the uh, Michael Ian uh, – what's that guy's – Michael Ian Black of <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> And so with this show, what we're going to do is we're it's going to be once a month and we're going to look at cult cinema, uh, but we're going to be doing something a little unique with it. We're going to we're going to be looking at films that are what I guess you would call the deep cuts, the ones that are not as well known as like the Big Lebowski and Rocky Horror Picture Show and stuff like that. These right. are ones that are not immediately on the radar. Um It'll be divided into two halves. The first half will be us discussing facts about the movie and what our expectations are of the film. And then we will pause to watch the movie. And then the second half will be our reactions to the film. Um, and this was actually your idea, Andy. Well, yeah. I, here's the thing. Like, I know I've seen, you know, your Rocky Horrors and your Big Lebowskis and your Repo Men and your kind of like the mainstream cult movies. Um, like if you look up a, a list of top 10 cult movies with, with one exception that we discussed, uh, in the prior to starting this recording, yeah. uh, I'm pretty versed. What I don't know, like what, what Roy has a really kind of deep encyclopedic, I guess, knowledge of, and I absolutely do not are like the deep cut cult movies that I have not seen. Um, and you know, I got really curious and, you know, you and I were talking and I just said, I haven't seen these movies. We should do something where you kind of take my hand and guide me through the Narnia of what the <laughs> hell these movies are. And, um, I will, so I, the, the general premise of what we're doing is I won't have seen any of these for the most part. In some cases I may not have either. I may have heard of them, but I've never seen them as well. Right. And just get just get an education on this thing and have some fun with them. Mm -hmm. Because I'll be honest, if it weren't for you know, we we sit behind a mic a lot, you and I. And if it weren't for the microphone that's in front of me and the, and the Roy that is with me, I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't. I would not watch these movies. So. So Roy is going to surprise us all, me included, with the next movie at the end of each episode. So I have no clue what I'm getting into. Just, very similar to what, um, I don't know, what he dropped on me this week, which is uh, I'm equally horrified and excited <laughs> to actually sit down and watch what I think might be um, some kind of odd combination of um, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, <laughs> and um, uh, what was the uh, what was the name of the Jennifer Connelly movie? Oh God! Um, um, oh God! Was it the one with the double-ended dildo? Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, why can't I, I, I'm blanking right now, and, I, and it's a damn. I know, so it, am I. Yeah, requiem for movies. a dream. That's it. Yes. Yes. Requiem for a dream and Willy Wonka, 
and not the part of Willy Wonka where they go into the tunnel, more part of the Willy Wonka uh, where um, where you fall into the chocolate river. And I think that you put those two things from what I've gleaned from the 30 minutes of time that I've spent watching a two-minute trailer now to just to try, just to wrap. I have no idea, Roy. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Well, I mean, when it comes to the like the really deep cult cinema, I've been fascinated with cult cinema for years. I mean, actually going back to being uh, um, a child, growing up in the era of blockbuster video and seeing a lot of these films that went directly to home video and, you know, renting them just because the box cover looked interesting. And in some cases, maybe I, I shouldn't have watched the movie because I'm not the right age group for the movie. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, when I went to college and I started, you know, studying cinema appreciation and film appreciation, yeah, I really dove into the world of cult cinema at that point. And I, sometimes I just, you know, stumble upon films and other times I hear about these films and I seek them out to watch it. And yeah, there's times I'm like, Oh God, why, why did I seek this movie out? And then the other times, like the one we're going to do for our first episode, you, it just haunts you so much that you never forget it. Um, this movie that we're going to do is called Liquid Sky. It is. It is. <laughs> uh, Liquid Sky. From what I understand, it's delicious. <laughs> uh, Liquid Sky was released in 1982, um, and uh, it was first shown at the Mon at the Montreal Film Festival. Um, it was actually a hit film. For an art house film, it was a hit film. It, it, it only cost $500,000 to make, and believe me, it shows. Um, <laughs> however, in 1983, it went on to gross almost $2 million, which for an art house film is huge, um, especially back in the early 80s when uh, art house films really weren't as sought out as they are now thanks to, like, movies like Sex, Lies, and Videotape and stuff like that. I mean, the, the art house cinema scene definitely changed in the 90s, but in the days before that, it was really those type of movies you would go to see and you would wonder whether or not somebody slipped peyote in your Coca-Cola while watching the film. Well, I, I so, you know, there's, there's a, even for people that might have listened to, you know, the, the various shows that I've done, there, there's things about me that a lot of people don't know. Roy, you might not even know these things. I, um, I went to school for, for music and musical theater. I went to college and, and I did it in high school. And I, I spent a lot of time in theater departments. Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time around student film and student you know, productions of various stage performances and things like that. So you know, even the quality of what I'm seeing you know, in the trailer for this – I'm fairly familiar with, mm -hmm. um, and I, I love, I love that, you know, I, I love the affectation of an art house film. It just, it, the, the pretentia around, you know, uh, I, I, I call it, I, I, I call it, uh, what, what was the phrase that I used to use? Forced distance in in line recess in, in, in line recitation. Uh -huh. Do you know what I mean? The, yes. the, the, the looking just out, and and you you do that as a, as a way to um, to just you know. There's I, I'll get into it later, but anyway, I love <laughs> I love this, and I'm watching the trailer, and I'm like, oh oh, I could know these people. I can, I can really know these people. <laughs> Yeah, what, what's what's the the thing with this movie? When I first discovered um, Liquid Sky, it wasn't on home video or anything. It was uh, this show that used to be on the USA Network before the USA Network became what it is today with all their hit shows and everything. It was literally the Wild Wild West on yes, cable was. television. I mean, there was you know these shows that would just. It was like, okay, I got this. Okay, we'll put it on the air, no matter what it is. I mean, you had these wild new wave dance shows. You had USA Up All Night, where I got a lot of my cult cinema uh, viewing from. Oh. And, uh, you know, there was also, you know, it was, it was one of the first networks on cable that would show WWF wrestling. And 
there was one show that I used to watch all the time called Night Flight on there, uh, which was a combination of like these avant-garde animation shorts, um, wackadoodle movies. Um, as a matter of fact, um, um, the movie Forbidden Zone, which is probably one we'll do later on down the road on this show. Uh, you know, that was one that was shown on there a lot, as well as Rock and Roll High School. Uh, music videos from the new wave, from the new wave scene, and from the punk scene, and and you know avant garde stuff. I, that's where I discovered Art of Noise. Actually, I mean you're talking oh, really? about you're talking about a deep cut from the '80s. There, I mean, it, and they had great interviews and everything. And Liquid Sky was one of those movies that was shown on Night Flight. And I just remember being a kid, you know, watching this at late night on 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 a Saturday night. I, I was mesmerized by this movie. I didn't understand what the hell was going on, <laughs> but um, I was mesmerized. And the film has been long lost, but the, but at the same time, it, underground, it was remembered. And this film is actually kind of responsible for a trend called Electro Clash, which was this okay. uh, the scene that came out during the early two thousands, where the eighties aesthetic of what you would think of when it comes to typical 80s. I call it Xanadu 80s, where with like the neon looks and the paint on the face and the bright colors and the black light and the Tron stuff, basically, right. um, and the sound for the music, what Liquid Sky was rediscovered and kind of inspired that scene for the club scenes. Um, so much so to the point where recently Vinegar Syndrome decided to reissue the movie on Blu-ray in a 4K restoration, and I've got to say the blue the the 4K restoration of this movie, um, it pops. I mean, it, it the movie looks fresh and unique, and it actually looks like the film could have been made today. Now, that's fantastic. Oh, by the way, uh, did you know that Night Flight was re-released on IFC? Yes, and year? I'm so happy about that. Yes, I'm so glad I it's back. Seeing that, yeah, but. Um, yeah, Liquid Sky is a close to two hour journey. It is. <laughs> um, it's, it's a journey. That it, I have a feeling. Again, I haven't seen it, right? <laughs> I have a feeling it's a journey the way the movie The Revenant is a journey. <laughs> it, is, it is a journey into the early days of the post punk um, new wave scene of early 80s New York. I mean, right. and it is unapologetic in it. I mean, um, the, it's 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 pure, raw, unfiltered, and it's which is interesting because I mean you could describe it as a drug, which is interesting because uh, Liquid Sky itself um, is actually a um, euphemism for um, drugs. <laughs> back in the early 80s. Um, if I remember right. right, I think Liquid Sky was a euphemism that was used for heroin back then. It, well, if you watch the trailer, which, again, is all I've done up to this point, um, you definitely get this general idea from the entire from the entire trailer, from, from the beginning to the end, that you, that either the movie... Or you are on heroin. And you can't <laughs> tell which. So even like, okay, so the soundtrack is very, very, you know, synth-based. Think um, oh, John Carpenter. Think, you know. It's yeah, like John uh, Carpenter it, meets craft work. John Carpenter meets craft work meets heroin. Listen, it's the soundtrack. It's the soundtrack to Escape from New York if it wanted to go to sleep at three o'clock every afternoon. <laughs> uh, That's a good way to describe it, actually. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And the line like I was talking about that line delivery, that 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 conceived distance. Every line is is almost walking-esque. In its delivery, because it's so timed to be to be uh, discomfitting, mm -hmm. to to feel like you know you're on that you're 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 on that waterbed 
of heroin, you know, where you're just kind of floating through this thing. But juxtapose that with um, any of the crowd scenes, any of the club scenes, um, and it's it's very very violent. Like like it it, it it's very much a clash. Yeah, and I'm real interested. I'm real interested. <laughs> Well, the director of this movie, um, his name is Slava Zuckerman, um, last name spelled with a silent T. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but it can't be. <laughs> I... He is um, he is actually originally from Russia. Um, he's he's a Russian film director, and he's of Jewish origin. Uh, this was actually his first American movie that he did was Liquid Sky. Uh, he really hasn't done too much cinema-wise, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, he did uh, he did Liquid Sky. He did a lot of uh, documentaries and films for Russian television in the seventies, uh, and he really is more of a documentarian. I mean, the only other real um, thing that he's known for is for a documentary called Stalin's Wife, right? Um, but. I, other than that, I mean, he's really not done too much. So, I, Liquid Sky is pretty much his his staple on the world on the world of cinema, which is a huge you know stamp to have on there. Uh, the film stars an actress by the name of Anne Carlyle, who plays uh, two roles in the movie, um, and the only other uh, real big roles that she's had outside of Liquid Sky is uh, playing the role of uh, Gwendolyn the transvestite in Crocodile Dundee. What? Yes. Um, and she was also in, had a bit role in Desperately Seeking Susan and also on Miami Vice, and then she posed nude for Playboy in the early 80s as well. Uh, All right. So, <laughs> so that's her in a nutshell right there. Um Listen, there, there, there is nothing better than early 80s Playboy. Let me just, <laughs> let me just tell you right now. So, you know, it's really interesting watching the, um, the visuals of, of this movie because you, you refer to it as, you know, the Xanadu 80s, right? Definitely, the, with, with the bright neon and the outrageous colors and costumes and hair and... I just the the over the top face painting makeup that was you know huge during that time period um, in the early eighties in New York and and everything. Right. And it's very There's it's a, very it's very like th these are the people who wanted to get into uh, Studio Fifty Four but couldn't because for what reason whatsoever. So they decided to go do their own thing. Right. Well, there's also a dissonance to it and. You know, and, and not to get too heavy, but, you know, when we're talking about the crossing out of the 70s and into the 80s, we're talking about crossing out of the disco era. We're talking about cro crossing out of of this kind of liberated time mm -hmm. into the 80s. And the 80s were very buttoned up. The 80s were very, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes, you know, it, it, mainstream, everything got buttoned down. In the 80s. Mm -hmm. So you have this strange dissonance, and this is Electroclash, you know, you have this strange dissonance between what is evolving out of disco, and you get this almost destruction of disco in this scene, you know, and you saw the same thing crossing out of the 80s into the 90s, and out of the 90s into the 2000s, um, and, and this sort of um, retro engineering of the electro clash, like you were saying, coming out of the nineties and into the two thousands, because I can tell you as a club kid, um, in the late nineties coming into the two thousands, that the new, that, that new wave, that electro clash, that face painting, I, I listen, I, I was a victim of myself when it came to face painting. I was a victim. <laughs> I was a victim of myself when it came to, uh, came to asymmetrical shirts and puffy jackets and, and different things. All right. I, I, I committed those crimes. <laughs> I'm just putting it up. But there are pictures somewhere that I'm not going to buy for this podcast, so suck it. Um, but, you know, it's really interesting. And I, I, from, the, from the imagery I've seen, that has to be part of the story they're telling, right? Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, it definitely is. And I, it's, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, dissonance and everything, because that, that's very heavy in this movie also, um, especially in the, um, the lead character uh, in the movie um, when it comes to uh, Margaret, um, who I can't wait. I, I can't wait for your reaction to her big monologue in this movie. Um, I, I, the thing, the thing is, is that I, it, it apparently had a huge audience back in the eighties because the movie actually spent 28 weeks on Variety's top grossing films, box office chart in 1983. What? Yes. So, so for an in, independent movie that was shown in art house cinemas, it was in the art house cinemas for a long time. Back in 1983, though, I mean, I, I wasn't caring about art house cinema. I was caring about Return of the Jedi. You know, that, that's where my focus was in 1983. I was thinking of films like that or Twilight Zone the movie and stuff like that. I wasn't caring about Liquid Sky. I didn't even know what it was. Well, I mean, that's that's the period of time that you were saying, like, there's a, there's a nostalgia and a throwback to going to the video store, like you said, and just grabbing boxes off the shelves based on the imagery mm-hmm. and just renting them. Um, I, I was a big sci-fi horror guy. So, you know, at that point, I was renting the things that I could not find at, you know, on cable. So and like, it's probably going to be movies just, we'll talk about on the show, too. You never know. Well, like, um, I don't know. Did you, did you ever uh, bear witness to the... To the uh, Hague level war crime that was robot jocks. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I think yeah, when it comes to cult cinema, thing. that's like, a that, would, that's a rite of passage for cult cinema's robot yeah, jocks. Yeah, I would go. I would go rent. And, you know, and that tr- and, and and from the early days of USG, just we were talking about United States of Geekdom. Um, that speaking of rites of passage, my I continued with that, and I continue to this day. But I continued with that up to the point where all of a sudden there's there's companies that are embracing the cult movie, mm-hmm. like um, like Asylum Pictures, like Gravitas, like uh, these 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 production houses that are putting this stuff out there now. Even I will go as far as to say A twenty four, A twenty four is yeah. putting some really quality art house and grind house out there for you to watch. That's just really. Cool ass movies, and even video um, companies like Arrow and uh, Vinegar Syndrome, and um, even in, in in some cases Shout Factory, are digging stuff out of the vaults that are forgotten films. Uh, and I, there, there's some cases I see some of the titles that are coming out, and I'm like, oh my god, I haven't thought about that movie in years, and you know, here it comes. Uh, I mean, and there's a new one that just recently came out called uh, MVD Video that actually had the audacity to release a 4K restoration of Return of the Swamp Thing on home on DVD and hey. Blu-ray. Hey. And I'm just like, oh god, you know? <laughs> just Roy, you're that's you're you're threatened that, on dangerous ground. The Heather, or as I call it, the Heather Locklear experience, because that's exactly what it is. Um, they need four. They need a. They need IMAX, and B. And B. They need 4K to put that entire head of hair on a screen. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's amazing how you know that there's that, that all of this stuff is coming back to the light. And, and Liquid Sky is one of those films where you wouldn't think that this would be something that would ever, in a million years, get released on Blu-ray, and even for that matter, get a 4K restoration. But you know, here it is. It's 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 now available on home video, and um, like I said, I've seen it. I'm I'm dying to hear Andy's reaction to this thing, and we also invite you to watch it as well. Um, it's currently available to watch in its entirety on YouTube, um, and it and like I said, it's close to two hours long. So if you see that it's like that long, yes, it's that long. <laughs> So it's yes, um, but um, yeah, it's definitely a trip. So we're we're going to pause right here, and when we come back, uh, we will have our uh, well, more specifically, um, Mr. Farmer's reactions to the um, drug-laced cinematic experience that is Liquid Sky. So here's as we leave. Here's what I know. Okay, mm-hmm. I know. 
that she's a killer. She's from Connecticut. Um, and she wants to marry a, law, a lawyer and have barbecues. And when, I, and, and when I invite Roy over to my house, I'm going to say, delicious, delicious. <laughs> this is so boring. All right, go watch the movie. <laughs> On that note, we'll be right back. Again, I've, I saw this movie before recommending it to Mr. Farmer here. And Farmer, you just watched it for I did. the very first time. Um, uh, initial thoughts and reactions? Um, am I still watching it? I feel like I might still be, or I've never watched it. Um, <laughs> I think everything, time is a flat circle. Everything now happens at once. I'm not sure from the beginning of the movie at what point the movie starts. So, like, like literally, you get – I'm just going – I don't care. I'm going for it. You made me watch this thing, so you're going to hear about it. Like, you get the you get the, the opening sequence with the alien craft landing in New York. Yeah. Um, you get that. And then immediately you're on Ann Carlisle uh, dancing in her, in her um, apartment. Like, immediately. And I'm like, what, uh, what, where are we? What is this? What's going on here? There's no, there's no ADR. There's no, there's nothing to tell me what's happening. All of a sudden, we're in this apartment, and almost it's breakneck. It is, it is the definition of of breakneck. It's also the 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 definition of you guys had a budget. Why didn't you just roll the splurge on a on a, on a steady cam of some sort? <laughs> I don't know. Did a steady cam exist in 1982? I don't know. When did Alien come out? Um, 79, I think. So, so yes, yeah. You these assholes had access to a steady cam, and they decided, you know what? We're going to give you the most confusing cinema verite we possibly can. <laughs> uh, this camera will not hold still. There is no. You can't. It, you cannot hold this camera still at all. So. <laughs> So yeah, I I'm still confused. I get I think I get it, and I'm mad at myself for it. <laughs> um, well, I the film, and if anybody listening did watch the movie, you didn't have to like stop the show and go see the movie. I mean, this the show's only coming out once a month. So if you did that, applause to you. But you right. did, you didn't have to do that. Um, when this movie came out in 1982. Uh, AIDS at first was not known as AIDS. And so, I, I mean, if you noticed, a lot of this film took place in the uh, early 80s gay nightclub scene. 
And so, you know, people were dying of this mysterious illness, and apparently this alien is an interpretation of this mysterious illness that turns out to be AIDS. See, I wondered that. I wondered that initially because, you know, you do have – I mean, they, they take every 80s uh, subculture conceit and jam it into one movie. Yeah. But that, that – I wondered if it was – if it was AIDS or, uh, you know – the overarching sexually transmitted disease that it was because I mean let, let's make well they kept she saying has that sex she, and kills people yeah they kept saying that she was going to get a, a transmitted disease as well and as she pointed out in the movie she kills with her cunt so they say a lot of things Roy. they say a lot of things in this movie <laughs> <laughs> they say delicious delicious they say do it like twelve to, like a hundred times I'm, it's, it, I'm just an acting teacher. Hey, Cocteau was Cocteau before he did drugs. <laughs> yeah, the line, no, no, the, 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 my favorite line in the entire movie, and it's nobody, I haven't seen it quoted anywhere, but it just, it just comes out of, of sheer left field is Owen, I, I think it was Owen, and that's his name, saying, um, well, what do you want me to do? I'm just a high school, or no, a college acting teacher. Yeah, that just comes out of left field, and I'm like, Okay, what? Wait, what? I mean, it was the worst character introduction I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, because it does, movie the, is a bad character introduction. <laughs> <laughs> because the fact that he's a college acting professor comes into play later, but at that point when you know he's being told, and we don't even know what his connection is with the German scientist who's hunting these aliens down. And so it's like... He's all of a sudden talking with this guy, and I'm thinking maybe he's a colleague in America with him. And then I'm like, oh, so no, he's not a scientist. What? Well, well, yeah. Well, why is he here? <laughs> well, and the and the comment is made by the German by Johan that he's the only person he knows in New York. Yeah. We don't know why he's the only person he knows in New York. <laughs> he's just the only person he knows in New York. Number two. Johan has the most compelling evidence I've ever seen that extraterrestrial life exists, and he can't get an audience with anybody but a college acting teacher? Yeah, he's even got photos of the alien itself, which honestly looked like an x-ray of a retina. And, yeah, he can't get anybody to listen to him. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't, uh, yeah, it's, it's, but we, okay, well, we digress, we digress. Um, so we've got, we've got the nightclub scene, so uh, the, our, our lead character in the movie um, is, um, she's from Connecticut, and. She is, she, she makes that very clear. She makes it very clear that she's from Connecticut, and she moved to New York City to become a, a fashion model, and to become whatever it is that she became. Um, she's, she's caught up in the old post punk new wave scene that started emerging at that time. She's bisexual. Um, she puts on a lot of face makeup and hops around with her unshaved armpits to the music and modeling. I didn't notice that. I was too busy noticing. I, I might, it might take a second watch to realize that. <laughs> Well, she made, had unshorn armpits. If you don't I was have focused the, on other things. I, I don't know if the version on uh, of this film that's on YouTube available for free is, can show it, but on a oh. 4K restoration, you can clearly tell that she not only has underarm hair, but it's bleached blonde. Good lord, nice. Way <laughs> to own it. Um, so she has um, she has a lover who is also a drug dealer, uh, Adrian. And uh, she also performs interesting beat poetry about her rhythm box. Her rhythm box is broken. That's it. <laughs> the problem with the problem with um, new wave uh, beat poetry is there needs to be it, about a rhythm boxes. It probably should have some rhythm to it. That's all I'm saying. Oh, especially the, when she's given the eulogy beat. Uh, oh poem God, Owens. Yeah, to Owen. <laughs> Owen's silver mylar uh, entombed body. I keep the body so I can fuck it. Okay, okay. Nobody. Can. Why are you here still, Adrian? Why are you here? Nobody. You don't need to be here. Nobody knows why you're here still. So, um, our 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 lead character 
Um, she is pretty much a brat. Um, she um, she has a rival in the in the form of Jimmy. And by the way, Margaret and Jimmy are two main leads. Our male and female leads are played by the same person. They're both played by Anne Carlyle. And I mean, there's supposed to be an androgynous going on with the characters anyway. So just to kind of mind fuck you a little more, they had Anne Carlyle play both characters. Yeah, yeah, and it honestly, she does a great job mm-hmm. of differentiating the two roles. I thought, for my money, I thought Jimmy was a lot more interesting as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I really, I really, I, it, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to like really wrap my head around why, but I think that. I spent a lot of time trying to figure Jimmy out, like because yeah. uh, uh, on the surface he's a a, dr- a, a drug-addled fashion model. Mm-hmm. But you know, I knew that there was more there. I don't know if they ever got there with him, but I knew there was more there. Yeah, because all we know is that he comes from money because his, his mom is a successful television producer. So that so. that was the weirdest scene, by the way. <laughs> the so. dinner scene with those two. Was uh, this movie is supposed to be off putting? Yeah, like it's made to be off putting, but that scene was legitimately off putting, very off putting. But yeah, that's all we really know about Jimmy is that he comes from money and um, he really wants to get high desperately. And he find he thinks oh, himself the prettiest gay boy in all of New York, but he's not gay all the time. No, he's not they gay all the time. Too. Yeah, he's not gay all the time. And Margaret's just a spoiled brat from Connecticut who um, kills with a cunt. Literally. Right. Literally, because she starts having sex with people. And, well, this to go back, this alien that the German scientist has <laughs> information luck, on. Yeah. Good luck. Um, so the, the, the German scientist, the information that he has, the UFO that he's hunting down just so happens to be sitting on top of the apartment of uh, Margaret and her lover, Adrian. And the alien has become addicted to heroin because heroin has um, this euphoric feeling that's been described to being similar to having an orgasm. But the alien has discovered that when it scans human beings in the midst of having sex, that the same endorphin that heroin can produce produces inside the body naturally so it would rather just extract that instead of trying to hunt down the heroin. And the only way that it can extract that is by killing the people who have an orgasm. And since Margaret seems to have sex so much in this movie, it decides, hey, this is the best place to pick it up. Right. I guess that's the most sense I can make of what happened. Because the movie is purposely meant to feel like that you're on heroin while watching it. It really does. It's... I have some. I, I do have some issues. I don't know, Roy, and I, I don't want to give up too much of my past here. But I don't know how much time you've spent around people that are super balls out on heroin. Not much. But I, <laughs> I spent. A, I spent a little bit of time around around uh, you know being a being a club kid in the nineties. I spent a little bit of time around uh, that kind of opiate, and it doesn't matter how you know blitzed you are on heroin. If you are at a fashion shoot, which we will get into the fashion shoot, uh, <laughs> and there's a dead there's there's a there's a dead body on the back porch, and two different people just disappear, you that your reaction is not the reaction of those people. No, even blitzed out on heroin, just like we we're gonna go. Like no. That's not you. You're going to lose your friggin' mind. Yeah, that's you what's going to happen. Yeah, you're not going to have dull surprise. Basically, this whole movie was dull surprise. <laughs> I loved it. It was great, but good lord. Well, let's. So talk- I have a question about the murder. The first one. Oh, the one where the the crystals protruding out of the back of the head. Yes. 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 So what we see in later um, uh, sextracide that she commits, right, Mm -hmm. is is she doesn't, like, in this first one, which, by the way, 
uh, trigger warning. This movie is rape heavy. Oh yes, it is. It's very rape heavy. Very rape heavy. Like uh, and not like not like in an eighties way where you would you know where it would be sugar-coated or you know you would get an idea no this is movie is rape heavy like for real yeah like 1970 even though it was made in 1982 it still had that 1970s rough like aesthetic I spit, to I it. spit on your grave kind yeah. of rape heavy not um, as long as i spit on your grave but still maybe when you tie them all together <laughs> but this guy wakes up with this crystal in his head i got so many questions about this so my, you know, watching it, this is the first death. Yeah. So I'm watching it, and, I, and, and she blood and, and blacks out, right? Mm-hmm. She wakes up, guy's dead with a crystal in his head. Mm-hmm. Where a, where did the crystal come from? Yeah, they never explain why a crystal appears on the black on the back of their head. That's never explained. I mean, we know that she asks. Uh, what she thinks is a Native American living on the Empire State Building across the street shooting arrows into their heads to do something with their bodies. And so instead, whenever she has sex with them, it makes them turn into aluminum foil and crumble up until they disappear. Um, as much as that makes sense as it is to describe it. But yet, yeah, they don't explain where the crystals come from. So I mean, I have no idea what that crystal means. And how does it have zero blood on it yeah for a movie that's for a movie that decided it like it obviously wasn't for the rating because a movie that decided that it was going to really look at drug culture and rape culture the way it did obviously one scene with blood in it wasn't going to throw that off so i don't know like was that to like get the endorphins out of the brain maybe maybe who knows I mean, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how this woman who is the television producer who's seducing the German um, scientist across the street who's trying to research the alien um, orders all these goddamn shrimp dishes for Chinese food. shrimp dishes. Just shrimp dish after shrimp dish after shrimp dish. And then suddenly she goes, you're German? Well, I'm Jewish. And I'm like, why are you ordering all these damn shrimp dishes? (laughs) Also, you meet a guy. You meet a guy in the in, in the hallway to your apartment, and be like, "This guy's getting boned tonight. This guy right here, Horshack hair, is getting boned tonight. That's and what's happening." Lord knows he was the sex. I mean, he had all the sex appeal of Abe Vigoda in this movie. He absolutely <laughs> did. <laughs> which tells me how low. Which made me ask. How low are your standards as a television producer if you're trying to seduce this guy who looks like the love child of Abe Vigoda and Don Knotts to have sex with you? Like, uh, I, I just met you in my hallway and I research alien life. I need to look out the window of your apartment. <laughs> yeah, come on up. We'll order some Chinese and bone it out. What do you think? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> And, and before we get to the fashion shoot, which is the big climax of the movie, so to speak, um, let, let, let's let's quickly go back to the fashion show that happens in the beginning of the film inside the nightclub, uh, where like we have a precursor to Lady Gaga appearing. Right, like like I said, I think Mr. Bean makes an appearance. <laughs> yes, at some the point. Mr. Bean model. Yeah, Atkinson. <laughs> And My, her, her dancing where she's just, like, hanging her head lo- low like some sort of pissed-off cockatoo and starts hopping up and down all over the place. My my real so, – so that leads me to a, a, a disconcertion that I had with this movie that was either on purpose or, or just a product, product of it being this movie. And that is that – we had we okay, so we're at the club. We're at the club. Then we had a uh, her. Um, do you have um, God? What's Ann Carlisle's lady name in this? I can't remember. Oh, uh, but, Margaret. Yeah, Margaret asks Adrian if she has any drugs. We have no idea who Adrian is at this point, by the way. Yeah, no idea. We have no idea that, that it's her lover. 
Right. Or her roommate or they live together or anything. Asks her for drugs. Um, she says, no, she's got to perform. And then the next scene is her performing. And then it's like a smash cut to three other things. And then the, and, and, and then the fashion show. But there's no setup for the fashion show. There just is a fashion there's show. There's a fashion show because it's like you cut to the performance, the rhythm box performance, uh, to uh, Margaret being forced to entertain Adrian in their apartment while Adrian's trying to get Margaret to give her the drugs, and then you've got this third story going around with one of, um, uh, not Adrian, uh, not. Uh, not entertaining Adrian. I'm sorry. I mean Jimmy. And Jimmy's desperately searching for drugs inside their apartment, and Margaret's trying to distract him with her "quote unquote" dance. And one of um, Adrian's clients, we see him and his wife bickering because she's trying to have a normal, upscale New York life, what and he's that? a heroin yeah. addict. It's just a subplot that went nowhere. Cocktoo was cocktoo before he did drugs. <laughs> God damn it. That's going to stay with me forever. That, that'll never leave. So I have a – you and I just – I asked you this question. Um, I think the most – of all the things in this movie, of all the disjointed, of all the, the deadpan line delivery, which we know is on purpose because it's supposed to perpetrate the idea that you feel like you're on drugs while you're, you know, all that's there. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem I have with this movie is how far is the club away from the apartment? I need to know this. Because, yeah, they get there back and forth so quick. and you know, It has she, to be seven times, six times. Yeah, and she t- and it, 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 she made it obvious that she takes a, a cab to the club. Uh, you know, when at the end, after the photo shoot, she's like, let's go to the club, let's dance. And she takes the taxi to the club. Yet earlier when she mentions it's not far, it makes it seem like it's like next door or something. There's no travel time. It's like a video game with fast travel. <laughs> <laughs> they're in the club, and then they're in the apartment, and then they're in the club, and then they're back in the apartment. Like, it's so it's just happening so quickly and so, uh, you know, uh, haphazardly, so slapdash, and it's hard yeah. to keep track of what's going on. Well, and that's just the film, period. I mean, the film fascinates me, but, yeah, if you're if you're – Going in expecting it to really make sense and be linear, forget it. Um, it's, it is not linear. It is not linear at all. It's very loosey goosey, and it's supposed to be that way anyway. Yeah, um, right. So it's, it's art. Yeah. So if, if 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 it was meant to make you feel like what it feels like to be on Liquid Sky itself, which is heroin, then it succeeded perfectly because it, it does feel like, to be honest, like watching the movie. It does feel like you black out for periods of time. If you're intently watching this movie, it feels like you black out and come to in the middle of the scene that started. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it, it's just been running for 10 minutes and you were out and you just woke up to this scene that's been that's in the middle Expe- of the ex- scene. Especially how the fashion suit starts because they allude to it earlier in the movie. But then all of a sudden we're like we're, we're watching the seduction attempt between the the Jewish woman eating shrimp and the German scientist, oh and they're having their discussions and like it's like she's the worst flirter in the entire universe, and he's just tone deaf to all her flirtations, and then all of a sudden you're smacked in the head with this sudden photo shoot that happens out of nowhere. I mean, I will admit the photos are actually very artistically done. I applied the photographer of the movie, but it just really beats you across the head when it it comes into play. My favorite thing is the fashion editor of Midnight Magazine coming in to to observe this photo shoot. That's my favorite part, almost of the entire movie, because (laughs) – it's all of us, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's everybody watching. That is that is the everyman. That is the Greek chorus where she's just trying to keep it together. And she's like, I, I don't know what the hell is happening yeah. right now with any of you people. I don't know any of you. Yeah, th- this has gone far enough now. I think I'm going to go. Uh, and, then, and then we have the, the blowjob. Oh, man, we're moving on to that. Okay. All right. Yeah. 
Well, the first no, is the blowjob before Adrian. The blowjob is before Adrian. Yes. Yeah. So okay. so okay. Margaret gives Jimmy a blowjob. So basically, Anne Carlisle gives herself a blowjob, which is fucked up. Yes. She's ta- she's taunted into it. Yes. Out of this rivalry about I don't know how who's they, prettier. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> yeah. How that turns from a you know the director of the fashion shoot. Pitting them against each other, how that turns into a, a, a blowjob situation, but it, it does. does. And so you know he, he, and and so you know at this point, Margaret knows that she can kill people, so she sees this as an opportunity to get rid of her rival Jimmy, and sure enough, she does, and everyone responds with a, oh, no. like like they like they. Best way to describe their reaction is imagine them thinking that they're drinking like a Nespresso made coffee from a Nespresso machine and then told it's taster's choice. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's the best way to describe their reaction. Well, and just imagine like somebody that – I mean because the thing is they travel in the same circles. They know all the same people. They yeah. are friends with the same people. And you just watched two of your friends, one of your friends polate another of your friends on a dare, essentially. And While shouting, friend, do it, do it, do it, yeah. do it. And then that friend disappears from in front of your face. Mm. Just is gone. And they're just like, well, let's go, let's go check out on the roof. Let's see if he's on the roof. And, oh, God, the roof. <laughs> and... You know, they're like, no, he's not there. And then Adrian, refu- A- Adrian refuses to believe that Margaret killed um, Jimmy. So how does Adrian decide to prove that Margaret is wrong? They scissor each other. They scissor each other. <laughs> and Adrian brings herself to climax and scissoring and thus disappears and dies. And then we go on to the big monologue, my, my favorite part of the movie, the big monologue of the movie before for Margaret. We, before we get there, can we, I want to backtrack to a scene that we didn't talk about. Okay. And that was the scene where we figure out that on top of being a college art teacher, Owen is also, uh, I guess, um, the... I, I don't even know how to explain it, but the lover of yes, oh my Margaret. god, yes, the secret lover of Margaret, yes, which yeah, is how she, which is how she passed all of his classes in college. So we we just we have met this guy so far, but all we have done is met him in this kind of weird ADR side story <laughs> where they're going to explain maybe at least. What the alien piece of this is. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you know, there's – oh, you put a slideshow together. Um, <laughs> and the next time we see this guy, which we don't know if we're ever going to see him again. He could just be gone. Yeah. Like that's it. Okay, it's a play now. We know there's aliens. These two are gone. We'll never see him again. We cut to we, – we have a scene on the uh, epitomous roof. Um, where, he's, him, where he's smoking pot. Yeah, he's, 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 he's smoking that reefer, <laughs> that devil's lettuce, up there with with um, with Margaret, and he's basically kind of daddy chastising her for her lifestyle, that everything's a costume, that everything you do is a costume. Yeah, basically you know, and, acting like a da- like a like a father figure for her. So at first, I was beginning to think that maybe that that was her father, or at least some sort of reasoned voice you know this is if this is a hero's journey this is her meeting with the oracle and maybe she can get this turned around you know in my mind i'm like oh okay okay this is the this is the voice of reason i was wrong i was real wrong (laughs) (laughs) nope he just wants inside her yep and he wants it to and, and but but you're are you telling me that your genes aren't a costume that your three piece suit. And I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. We get it. We get it. We get it. Stop bludgeoning me with counterculture. We get it. Yeah. She just like, she so wants to be so counterculture, counterculture, counterculture. And then when we get to her, I'm from Connecticut speech after killing everybody. Uh, Your aphid is not my prom dress. I get it. (laughs) 
you know, she talks about how she was supposed to meet a lawyer and they were going to have barbecues and all their friends would say, delicious, delicious, oh, how boring. And then she starts painting her face in black light makeup and talking about how, you know, she was supposed to be this glamorous pussycat and, you know, how she killed all her teachers and who wants to be yeah. taught next and, hey, let's go to the club. And I'm like, oh, this woman is manic depressive. Well, it snapped that quick, too. So she kills two people, has a 10-minute um, basically like stage aside where she's speaking to no one in the room, just kind of into camera, and then immediately goes, I want to go dancing. Let's go to the club. Yeah. And goes on to seduce and kill one of the people who raped her earlier in the movie. Right. And then she's just like, okay, yay, you know, now the Indian and I can be together. It's like she keeps calling him Indian. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and, and so she then meets up with the professor who's explaining to her what's going on, and she responds by stabbing him and killing him. Not, not having sex with him and killing him, but no. stabbing him and killing him. Stabbing him and killing him, and she sees the UFO – and she's like, take me, take me. And the UFO starts going away. And so she responds since she makes the revelation that the reason why the alien never killed her was because she never had an orgasm in the movie. Right. So she wants to be taken with the alien. So she shoots herself up with heroin and goes on to do the diva dance of death. The only thing I can... The, the, the only way I can explain what it is is it, it reminds me of David Byrne from Once in a Lifetime uh, from the Talking Heads, but sped up about 1.7 times. Yes. As the days go by, and he's doing the arm thing and the head, and it's all over the place. Yeah. And in the meantime, uh, I'm guessing that a television producer can just flat out see this. Yes. Because she, it's been pointed out, you can see an alien on the roof. It's right there. Like... And she's like, are you sure that's an alien? It could be a saucer, like a, like a, like a platter or, you know. Oh, German, German professors are as tall as skyscrapers and aliens are as little as shrimp. God damn, shut up. <laughs> she's obsessed with shrimp. She really is. She loves the shrimp. She, she loves, loves the, the shrimp. shrimp. <laughs> she's not kosher. Let's say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Weird so, Auschwitz fantasies that she has. You're German? I'm a Jew. Like, no. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up, woman. <laughs> so uh, my final question that I have with you about uh, Liquid Skies, would you watch it again? I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to. Uh, just to so, – so, so I watched it. I watched it. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. Mainly about the distance between the club and her apartment, of all the things, that was what was stuck in my head. So, and I, I, I decided that I needed to cleanse myself before doing this. Yes. How did you? How did you? How did you cleanse yourself of this movie? I shit you not. This is true. My drive home from work is about an hour long. I sp I, I'm not. I'm not kidding. This is what I did. I was like, I need something to erase this so I can come in with a clean palette to record this. Yeah. I, I went on Spotify and put Banga Bus We Like to Party on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> for an hour. And so, I felt... I, and so basically for now, an hour you made yourself think that you're going to Six Flags. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. It was an hour of it. I just had it on repeat. Wheels of Steel are rolling. And I, I felt bad for anybody that pulled up next to me that could hear Vangabus coming out of my car and then look at me and just see me staring dead into the middle distance while I thought about Liquid Sky and just tried to let Bangabus wash it all away. <laughs> just. <laughs> I need a cleansing ritual for these. I need something to clear myself because if not, I have so many questions still. So yes, I'm going to have to rewatch it. And I suggest everybody watch it once, especially if you're a fan of art house cinema, mm -hmm. if you're, 
if you're just a kind of a fan, like uh, we have a mutual friend by the name of Hunter and Hunter is a cinephile. And, and um, I had mentioned to him that I was watching this. He's like, Oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's definitely an art film. Don't, don't think it's an independent art film. So don't go in expecting, expecting, to be handed everything. Oh yeah. You're going to have to watch it a few times to wrap your head around. And then honestly, it's worth it. It's worth it for the delivery of the lines. It's worth it for the camera work. Um, it really does. Like I said, it really puts you in the mindset of being high. Um, if you feel like you black out and you wake up in the middle of scenes, you, you, you feel like you're there. It is, it is engrossing in a weird way. So yeah, I would. All right, well, that that was the experience. That and is. also kiss my ass, Roy, for making this the first one we see. <laughs> well, uh, the, the next film is actually going to go in a completely different opposite direction than Liquid Sky. We're act, we are actually delving into horror for our next oh, film. Um, but uh, before before we do that, anybody listening... Um, you know, we we have our Facebook page, and you can you know follow us on the Facebook page there. Um, you can also email us at cult cinema catacombs at uh, outlook.com. Again, that's cult cinema catacombs at outlook.com. Um, You've been busy. Yes, I've been getting this all set up. Um, if you have any questions, you can ask questions through the email, and we may read your responses, and we may read them and respond to them on the next episode. Uh, well, again, like I said, we're only doing this one once a month, so you, you don't feel like you have to rush for the next episode, especially with Liquid Sky, because it's going to take a while to process. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our next film, we're going to the year 1987, and like I said, we are delving into the world of horror. Uh, this film has been considered a not only one of the earliest examples of H.P. Lovecraft horror yeah, in, baby. in cinema... But it's become a forgotten movie over the years, and that's a shame because it's, to me at least, I remember this film just, when I was a kid and I saw it, it scared the living shit out of me, and I just recently rediscovered it, and it's still very effective. Um, it's the 1987 horror film called The Kindred. I have um, never seen it. Yeah, it stars uh, Rod Steiger, Amanda Pays, Kim Hunter, and David Allen Brooks. Um, I'm not even going to describe the plot or anything um, until the next episode. Um, I'll send you the the trailer for this one uh, as well, Andrew, so that way you can get yourself prepared for this. But this one's a doozy. I love so I I love H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. I love Lovecraftian fiction. Honestly, it's I, I've gone through a, a weird period where I've read. Whenever I run out of something to read, I read Lovecraft or I read Lovecraftian fiction. It's just it's my go-to short stories, you know, whatever it might be. And I I've, I've known of the existence of the Kindred, but you know, I've kind of focused really heavily on movies like In the Mouth of Madness, mm-hmm. um, and and movies that are that kind of heavily influenced. But I've known this is there, so I'm very very excited for this. I'm very very excited for this. This will be our next film, and I will. Po- this film is available. Also, to, someone had the, the the good sense of uploading a VHS copy on the, onto YouTube, so it is. Available I do suggest to watch. that be the only way you watch these, these films <laughs> <laughs> on a VHS quality. I know Roy's been really, really louding the the um, the four the four K restoration, but trust me, you're gonna lose. You're gonna miss something if you don't watch it in the grainy original. <laughs> Well, the 4K of Liquid Sky is mind-blowing because the colors are just... The, the colors pop like Blade Runner, the final director's cut 4K restoration does. Wow. It pops like that. And it's just, you know, for a movie like Liquid Sky, it's amazing that they went through the painstaking restoration job that they did for the film because it it, the, it has it has the color palette of the original Suspiria movie. Yeah, but that's why you would do it, right? Yeah, is, is it's it's and and I don't think that we should do Suspiria. I think we're both way too familiar with that movie. No, Suspiria won't be touched on on this show because I mean that's a I mean we want to go with a little more lesser known film. Once in a while we may go with a more known film, but no, Suspiria has been talked to death on a lot of other but shows. So, but what's funny is you mentioned Suspiria, and I guess I would put Liquid Sky into the same category yeah after a fashion you know it's 
it's it's that off-putting that off-putting feeling almost like if you want a modern allegory for liquid sky if you if you haven't seen witches with two v's where it's just unsettling yeah yeah and it's it's great for that like i was totally engrossed i watched i watched it all straight through like i, I didn't i there, there were points to me that were like you should take a break because your brain's going to die but i was like <laughs> nope i'm gonna i'm in I'm, I'm watching this thing so i could talk about it more but we probably shouldn't yeah <laughs> So um, we will be releasing the uh, the Kindred episode in July. And like I said, if you have any questions or comments or anything, feel free to email us. Uh, again, it's uh, Cult Cinema Catacombs at Outlook.com. And we will see you on the next episode. <laughs>